Hello everyone, you're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast where we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. As per always, I am Ned Wilcock, your host for Crunch Squad, and today I am joined once again by the illustrious... Thomas! It's me for a second time. Two times in a row here, Ned. Yeah, it, it's becoming a regular thing. I'm a fan. Yeah, two two times is a regular thing. We'll see if we can get it to be a third time. Maybe, But, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have Josh jump in this next time. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so first things first, uh, we have a suggestion from our audience, from Elsa, who asked us to talk about the human and the variant human. And Mm -hmm. there is some cool stuff to get into here, but since overall they're pretty simple, we decided that we're also going to talk about feats. And uh, we'll start by explaining why we're going to talk about feats, because the human uh, starting off is a very, very simple race to work with. Basically, you get plus one to all of your ability scores, and that's pretty much it for the human. Yep. Nice, uh, versatile. If you just want to be a little bit better at everything, human's the way to go, or at least the human as written without any variant rules. The variant rules, however, is where things get a little bit more interesting and a little bit more fun. It's also where some DMs I like to throw a lot of homebrew in uh, as a result of this variant rule. Let's talk about the variant rule first before we go into that. Yeah, with this one, only two of your ability scores increase by one, but the benefit you gain is you get proficiency in one skill of your choice, and you also gain one feat of your choice at first level. Mm-hmm. This this goes along with the thematic idea of like humans are adaptable. Um, their lives are so short, and they've lived for, um, they've survived such harsh conditions that they can adapt to anything around them. Um, that's both of these rules are uh, expressive of that. Plus one in, in everything, or gain a proficiency and uh, the variant rules. Yeah. So because of this rule where you can get a feat for free at first level, we have put together a list of some of our favorite feats that we would recommend for first level characters. Yeah, because we actually haven't talked about feats in Crunch Squad. We've really kind of only focused on races and classes. I think now it's time to really fun to go into feats because I, when I first started doing D&D or Pathfinder, feats was the fun thing to look into. It was the fun thing I I remember talking to Ned about all the feats that his cleric would take and if we could uh, um, ignore the evil aligned feats or if, if we should look into that regardless that his character was a good aligned character and things like that. It's, there was a lot of feat trees in those editions. Fifth edition, not as much, but I actually think it helps keep it more focused for the players. And so we wanted to bring up some possible options or at least some of our favorites here. Yeah. And there are so many feats that we could go over in 5th edition. There's something close to like 100 officially published feats these days. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to be focusing on just a few that specifically we think are good for entry-level characters. Like we could go into theory crafting with like, you know, especially (laughs) some of the new stuff that they've released, like in the Dragonlance supplement, they've got progressive feats, feat trees, uh, as Mm -hmm. you might hear them called. But we're going to keep it simple for this first one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the direction that uh, Wizards of the Coast, and I think that the, uh, this next edition or quote-unquote edition that's going to be coming out next year, I think they are going to get those feet trees. But just starting out simple, you, you don't need those to still be able to maximize your character. And uh, we hope some of these are uh, some inspiration for you, for your current character or for one that you might create on D&D Beyond and hope that you get to run in a campaign. Haha. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to happen. All right. So 
first things first, we've got a couple feats that I think are going to be good for any character, regardless of what your build is, what your role in the party is. First one I'm going to mention is Lucky. And mm-hmm. it probably feels a little bit like a cop-out, but it really is just such an amazing feat because it gives you, as the player, just a little bit more narrative control over the story. Yeah, it, it's nice. We've seen this in I Cast Fireball. Um, that a lot of people use Lucky, Lucky in famous uh, and other famous um, uh, actual plays like Critical Role, Season 1. Um, the Dungeon Dudes in uh, their second season, one of their characters has Lucky. The funny thing, and probably the hardest thing about Lucky, is for the player to remember they have Lucky Mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment. I think that's the biggest hindrance of the feat. Yeah. And so pretty straightforward, like at the base level, you get three luck points every long rest, and you can use these luck points to roll an additional d20 on an ability check, an attack roll, or a saving throw. Mm -hmm. The rules is written, we've discussed this a little bit on the podcast, rules is written, you're supposed to say that you're using the luck point before you know whether your roll succeeds or not, but if you have a cool DM, they might let you do it (laughs) after you know whether it succeeds or not, but that's that's up to the purview of your DM. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, these, a thing to note, these luck points don't stack, so you can't just have like a long downtime for like uh, 10 days and then oh I didn't use any of my luck points for those 10 days and so I have 30 luck points no it's you get a max of 3 per day per long rest and they replenish per long rest Mm -hmm. and there is one additional ability that you get with lucky that doesn't actually get a lot of visibility Yes. when an attack roll is made against you you can spend one of your luck points to roll a d20 and choose whether the attacker's roll uses their roll or yours that one I think is underutilized a lot, um, and it's really cool flavor text. I mean, if you really, if any, if you watch Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits, they're traditionally lucky, right? Um, halflings are traditionally lucky, and you can see that especially in like Fellowship of the Ring when they're uh, the cave troll is like in the in the mines of Moria, the mines of Moria, and uh, everybody's like dodging out of these goblins, and Sam's using this frying pan to smash goblins in the face. I'm like, all of that's pretty lucky they have no skill whatsoever really uh in in that situation but luck just carries them through and uh i mean thematically just the the oh the cave troll stabbing frodo it's as if he used a luck point against the cave troll and what would have been a critical hit turned out to be a critical failure because um he imposed his luck upon the cave troll i think that's a heavily underutilized skill especially in a tense battle like you don't you don't necessarily need to hit but you just need to have the person not hit you so you can get another chance next time yes i will have to remind myself about that ability a bit more frequently because i don't think i've ever <laughs> used it for fleeple nope nope you <laughs> and it's again it's very easy to forget uh when a player has the lucky feet because just in the heat of the moment you don't realize it Yeah, Lucky is a great one to start off with. Well, another feat that's really nice because you don't have to remember in the heat of the moment whether you have it or not, this is good for any character, is the tough feat. What this does is it gives you two extra hit points per level that you have, essentially. Yeah, it's just a nice, easy way if you're a weak glass cannon wizard. You're like, you know what? I'm tired of going down and the cleric always having to revive me. You come to level eight, level 12 or whatever, where you have the option to take a feat, boom, take the tough feat, which I don't know. I don't 
think we prefaced this episode, but you have the opportunity at certain levels to take feats upon yourself, even if you're not a human, right? Even mm-hmm. if you're not a human variant, but the human variant is the easiest way to get a feat. Um, and uh, I will I will say, if you also have a cool DM, which I am not a cool DM because I didn't don't think I did this for my players, a lot of DMs have the house rule of just starting the entire campaign where everybody, regardless of race and class, gets one feat. And then if you're the variant human, you get a feat on top of that as well. So uh, it's just a nice way to add that flavor and to give some love to something that you don't necessarily get an opportunity to take advantage of, except, what, four times, five times out of the entire campaign if you take it at fourth level, eighth level, twelfth level, and so on. And whenever you get your ability score improvement. Yeah, but tough is just an easy one that you can take. Like, I'm tired of having low hit points. You take this and boom, instantly, you get a ton of hit points if you're a really high level a character and if not you still get a nice bump yeah i do just really quick want to mention i won't dig into the details of the durable feat it seems like it does a similar thing because when you roll hit dice you regain more hit points with that but like the intent of both is to keep you further away from zero hit points but it's better to just not have to lose as many hit points in the first place than it is to try and regain hit points to get as far away. So just go with tough instead of durable. Yeah, just be tough. Now, uh, speaking of losing hit points, let's talk about some combat-oriented feats that are going to be useful for you folks. My favorite. My favorite feats that I look at. Um, I yearn for the time I can be a player in doing combat, but some the one I really wanted to talk about um, is Sentinel. This one yes. I think is fantastic, especially if you have a large group, maybe a larger group, or even if uh, you just have a specialization, you're a fighter class, or you, your character really wants to be in the action. They've taken the tank role, uh, so to speak, in the party of just soaking up damage and want to make sure that the attention stays on them. The Sentinel feat has three big elements to it. Uh, first, when you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, that creature's speed becomes zero for the rest of the turn. So you run up to the dragon, you hit the dragon, which is twice your size, and they start to fly away. You get an opportunity attack, and then you can try to hit them. And then if you even, if you're successful, even if you do one point of damage, they can't move. They can't fly away whatsoever, which is, oh my gosh, so powerful, especially for a creature that can fly. Um, or if you have a bunch of goblins around you and you know the wizard over there is going to be knocked down if he takes another hit, you can keep people there. The only um, downside is uh, uh, opportunity attack, so it's going to be most likely melee, right? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the first big thing. The second thing is creatures provoke opportunity attacks from you even if they have the disengage action before leaving your reach. Lance Thalen, which I forget about this one all the time, but Lance Thalen, bonus action disengages, right? Um, disengage doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. Sentinel just ignores that. It's a wasted action at that point regarding the Sentinel, and they can just take that opportunity attack. And then finally, the last one is when a creature makes an attack against a creature other than you, you can use your reaction to make a melee attack against them. So if they're not going to move, but they're like, uh, but the wizard's right by you and they attack the wizard, 
you can get real hurt and offended or uh, save the honor of your wizard friend and just attack them with your reaction even though they're not moving. Three great elements of this feat. Yeah, lots of new options it gives you to just have more options to attack and a little bit of battlefield control there as well, which is real nice. Yeah, I mean, that battlefield control is critical when you get to higher levels as well, when people have like Misty Step or Teleport or, I mean, it, that that becomes a critical key in all... Um, in all of D&D. Yeah, now there's a lot, I think you'll, you'll notice that there's a lot of feats, especially for melee combatants, uh, not as many for ranged or spellcasters, but we're, we're going to mention two more feats that we think are going to be especially good for melee combatants. Uh, aside from Sentinel, we're going to look at Great Weapon Master. Yes! This is really fun because it gives you an opportunity to play with a little bit of risk and reward. When you make a melee attack with a heavy weapon that you're proficient with, so there's the little caveat there, it has to be like a great axe or a maul or something, you can choose to take a minus five penalty to the attack roll, but then if you hit, you add 10 damage to the resulting damage. This is great if you're going up against a really large creature, which larger creatures in D&D have lower ACs, meaning they're easier to hit, right? Because the bigger the target, the easier to hit. Um, and so you can be like, hey, I'm most likely going to hit this guy, especially if I have a magic weapon or things like that, or especially if you have advantage already on the attack. Yeah, you're like, I, I have advantage. I'm most likely going to hit him already or uh, this creature. Then great weapon master, take the risk of doing the minus five to the final results, still most likely hit, and you get an automatic plus 10 to whatever the damage is, automatic 11 damage to the attack. And that's the benefit you're gonna be getting most frequently probably from Great Weapon Master, but there's another fun little benefit as well that when you score a critical hit with a melee weapon, or you reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, you can make one melee weapon attack as a bonus action. A bonus action, not a reaction like the Sentinel there, but a bonus action, which is awesome. You don't normally get to do uh, a um, like long sword or great axe attack as a bonus action. You can only use a light weapon, which has a lower damage die. So this, is, this one's really good. Um, if you are the barbarian with the massive double uh, long sword there. And then the other one we're going to mention for melee types is the mobile feat. This one's pretty straightforward. The description is two small uh, one small sentence. You are exceptionally speedy and agile. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> because of your speed and agile, you gain three mechanical benefits. First, your speed increases by 10 feet. Pretty nice. Next, when you use the dash action, difficult terrain doesn't cost you extra movement on that turn. Which difficult terrain uh, sacrifices half of your entire movement. Yeah, so if you have this feat, typically your base speed's gonna be 30 feet. You already have plus 10 feet because of the mobile feet. If you're on difficult terrain, you would typically only be able to move 20 feet in that round. But if you take the dash action, suddenly you can move 80 feet instead. And then the final one, uh, final benefit of this feat is when you make a melee attack against a creature, you don't provoke opportunity attacks for that creature for the rest of the turn, whether you hit or not, regardless if you hit. All you have to say is, I declare I'm doing a melee attack against this creature and then you're guaranteed to be able to get out of there if you absolutely need to or want to, which that's basically slapping them upside the head, doing damage or not doing damage, and then while they're dazed and confused, sprinting away. Yeah, 
So if you're like a rogue, for example, you can bonus action, use your dash, you start 40 feet away from them, you run up to them 40 feet, make an attack against them, run 40 feet away, and they don't get an opportunity attack against you. It's a pretty winning combination. That's a great, that's a great scenario to use. Yeah, rogues, this one would be amazing. I mean, monks would also be amazing because they their speed already increases just from their class. So they would be like moving 60 feet, depending on what level they're at. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, monk, uh, rogue, that's a good one. And now we're going to talk about, uh, we've chosen one feet each for ranged uh, martial combatants and spellcasters. For ranged, we're looking at sharpshooter, which is kind of the other side of the coin from great weapon master. Uh, you also get that option to take a minus five to your attack roll in order to potentially get a plus 10 to the damage. But there's another couple really, really juicy abilities here. First, when you attack at long range, you don't have disadvantage on your ranged attack. Uh, whenever you look at a ranged weapon, it'll give you two separate ranges. Like for a longbow, I think it's 80 slash 320, meaning that anything within 80 feet, you just attack as normal. You can still hit something up to 320 feet away, but you're going to have disadvantage because you're outside your normal range. Well, let me go ahead and caveat that with the longbow because it's even more ridiculous. The range for a longbow, is that what you said, longbow, right? Yeah. It's 150 for the first number and oh. then six 600 for the second number. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah. Even, even more ludicrous. Yeah, so having the, the lack of disadvantage on your long range attacks, if you have a longbow, you can hit somebody up to 600 feet away, not have to worry about disadvantage. I mean, that's literally being a sniper, right? That's, that's crazy. And on top of that, you also ignore half cover and three quarters cover. So your target can be 600 feet away, like just poking their head out from behind a tree and you can just nail them with an arrow. You you would be Legolas. Exactly. Just, I mean, straight up, like Legolas shooting at anything anywhere in the entire world. Oh, 600 feet for a longbow. I just I forget yeah. how long and how far 600 feet actually is. Yeah, we're, we're suddenly starting to think of ranger builds in our heads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But hmm. Uh, we're going to have to look at that at a later point uh the <laughs> main feat that we're going to recommend to spellcasters for combat at first level is warcaster yes uh-huh warcaster is so almost a critical feat to take if you are going to be a spellcaster and you're going to be using those spells in combat uh, particularly those that are um uh, I, I would recommend this to fleeple uh, if he uh or builds like fleeple who use Con uh, concentration spells like polymorph or um, summon fey summon fey exactly right uh, telekinesis things like moon that beam. yep moonbeam mm -hmm. those those spells would particularly benefit from warcaster yeah because the first thing you get from warcaster is whenever you make a con save to maintain concentration on a spell when you take damage now you have advantage on that constitution saving throw. Always good to make sure that you don't waste your action. I mean, uh, there have been times when I cast Fireball where Fleeple's like, I cast Polymorph or I cast Moonbeam. And we're like, great, this is going to really come in handy as it goes on because it's persistent damage and Fleeple can still do spells later on while maintaining concentration. However, if that goes out in the first round, I mean, Moonbeam, it doesn't do damage until it gets to that enemy's turn. Right, mm -hmm. and so if the moonbeam goes out before that enemy's turn, well, then Fleeple just wasted a spell at that point, right? Uh, and yeah. so, 
Uh, and that, that really sucks as a player to have that spell just gone. Yeah. The Then there's a couple other benefits as well. The first one, uh, this is more kind of a flavor sort of thing. You can perform the somatic components of spells even when you have weapons or a shield in one or both hands. This is going to come in handy for classes like Paladins, where you're doing a lot of melee combat, but you also want to be able to cast spells. Comes in handy for uh, some more melee-oriented clerics, for example, like a war cleric, where you're actually going to be in the thick of battle and whatnot. Yeah, and this is something that uh, we we don't uh, focus too terribly much in ICF, because it, it can bring down the pacing a little bit, especially if the players um, are not as into it. But uh, having only a certain number of items and, and declaring when you have your shield out and when you have your weapon out and specifically stating you're pulling out your weapon before you declare an attack. Uh, if you have a DM who is very into the the order of operations of combat and you're a spellcaster, then Warcaster would be definitely one that you would want to take a look at as well because it helps remove some of those order of operations needed to cast some of those spells. And then the final benefit from Warcaster is to do with opportunity attacks. So typically, when you're able to make an opportunity attack, you make a single melee weapon attack against the provoking creature. But if you have Warcaster, instead of having to make a melee weapon attack, you can use your action to cast a spell at the creature, uh, just with the restrictions that it has to have a casting time of one action, and it must target only that creature. And this is really nice, especially for that wizard who, you know, he hardly ever gets attacks of opportunities presenting to himself right <laughs> but yeah. you know when that happens he doesn't want to use the 1d4 minus 2 dagger because his strength is a 6 you know he wants to be able to use his strengths which he wants to shock and grasp them or the um the, the warlock wants to cast eldritch blast at that point right i mean eldritch blast and casting three eldritch blasts at them uh it, i believe if it targets only that creature i'd have to look up at eldritch blast specifically but i know like yeah. shocking grass would be one that could be easily done and what i'm realizing just now actually is it doesn't specifically state that it has to be a damage dealing spell so theoretically oh. like you could cast polymorph on somebody as as an opportunity attack essentially yeah you're really good it doesn't have to even be a cantrip which i forgot about i mean it could be uh, I mean, it could be a ninth level spell, right? As long yeah. as it only targets one creature. And the casting time is one action. So that's that's a lot of spells. Holy cow. Now, the only caveat is it has to be a hostile creature, right? It can't be your ally mm. leaving your space and you declare like, oh, well, sometimes I get mad at Lance Thalen. And so <laughs> he's an opportunity attack. But right before I attack him with my firebolt, I decide to cast Bless on him. You know? Yeah. I'm going to cast Enhanceability on him. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, I really hate him so much. Uh, yeah. So hostile creature provo provoking the opportunity attack. But... I mean, that's a great find to make sure that it doesn't have to be restricted to a can uh, cantrip, first level spell. It could be however high you want, which could be really nice. You can get off a really fast um, spell. If it's a dragon, I mean, yeah, you're going to want to cast a huge spell against them, right? If they leave your, if they leave your reaction, uh, your area. 
Nice. Okay, so those are our combat choices. Now we're going to talk about a few utility options, stuff you're going to be using outside of combat. Yeah. So first one I'm going to mention is skilled. Skilled is really, really handy to just become better at doing all of the stuff that happens outside of combat because when you take the skilled feat, you can choose three skills or tools of your choice and gain proficiency in those skills. We're looking at you, rogues. We're looking at you, bards, um, mm -hmm. which bards already can be literally masters at almost every single skill to begin with. So mm -hmm. if they're like, you know what? I'm a 90% of the way there. I just want to get all the way there. Skilled is the way to go. But something that I will uh, ask our listeners to consider is there's a lot of tools that, at least in my home games, don't get used. Artisan tools, um, blacksmith tools, things like that. It'd be really fun. And I know 5th edition, this is one area of 5th edition I really wish they had maybe fleshed out a little bit more or given more opportunity or maybe written into adventures specifically um, of like how to utilize those tools. Um, but for instance, uh, if you're proficient in land craft or land land-based craft, so like wagons and you're in a wagon chase, you know, then you have your proficiency to add to any sort of animal handling check or dexterity check. Um, tools can be a really slept on proficiency that skilled can benefit you from to where you can really start thinking outside the box there. And something that is very much in line with this that could either build upon skilled or you could still just take it right at first level is the skill expert feat in Tasha's Culture and of Everything. There's a lot of really good stuff that comes with this. Uh, the main thing being that you gain proficiency in one skill of your choice, so not as diverse as the skilled feat, but you can also choose one skill that you have proficiency with. And as long as you don't already have expertise in that skill, you gain expertise in that skill. And then as one final little bonus, you can increase any ability score of your choice by one. Oh, that's nice. That last little bit there. But for anybody who doesn't know, or has never played a rogue or has never had expertise on their character sheet before, that's basically just, uh, if you want to be an expertise in one skill that you're already proficient in, it basically just lets you add your proficiency bonus a second time. So for, and Jacob has actually done this with Lance Thalen in a very clever way, which I didn't think about. He's proficient with thieves tools. But then he was like, I'm going to become expertise. And I was like, all right, and what skill? And he goes, thieves tools. I was like, duh, why wouldn't you become expertise in thieves tools? The thing that only the rogue can do. Of mm. course, yes, that's why he rolls so crazy high whenever he tries to unlock chests and doors. Yeah. And why uh, his tools hardly ever break, right? Uh, it, except right at the beginning of the campaign. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Expertise doubles your proficiency and, you know, proficiency increases as you level up. So you're going to get a plus two every single time your proficiency increases in that one skill anyway. Pretty darn good. Now, the next one that I'm going to bring up is Keen Mind. Oh, Keen Mind. Yeah, this one is really, really good more for story-based stuff. Uh, it's got a whole bunch of different uh, parts to it. First one, you increase your intelligence score by one. Uh, that's another thing just to kind of keep in mind as you're looking through feats is a number of feats will, they're kind of like half ability score improvements where they 
instead of increasing one skill, one ability score by two, they increase it by one, and then you still get some other benefits on the side. Yes. So this increases your intelligence by one, and then you always know which way is north, you always know the number of hours left before the next sunrise or sunset, and then the best one, in my opinion, you can accurately recall anything you have seen or heard within the past month. Yeah, which, I mean, that's photographic memory. I mean, all you have to do is just glance at a bunch of papers in, uh, I don't know, say a secret lair in a caldera uh, where the enemy is maybe Mondath or a tent as you're pretending to be somebody who you're not. All you have to do is glance at a piece of paper and go boom, 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 you know, a piece of paper and just briefly read through it once. You have that for a whole month that you can regurgitate back out with the keen mind feat Uh, class. Great example of this is Critical Role Season 2. Caleb Widogast, keen mind feet uh, to the DM's chagrin and annoyance at time being like, I always know what North is, what time is it? You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what time is it to the day? Uh, and things like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and it's also good for, like, recalling big story information. Like, there's such a difference between campaigns where somebody has keen mind and they don't, because in one where they don't have keen mind, they're like, Ned, what was the name of this guy that we met? And I'll be like, roll a history check to see if you remember. Right. Whereas when they do have the feed, it's like, oh, what was the name of that guy? Ned, I have keen mind. What was that guy's name? And I just have to tell them because they have keen mind. I will say it also causes the DM to really be on their toes because if the player is like, I have keen mind, so I remember it, but the I as a player don't remember it. And the DM has to be like, yes. <laughs> and I too also do not remember it as well. And uh, if you're not recording a podcast, you can't just go back and listen to that episode. You gotta yeah. come up with something right then and there, right? Then the next one we're going to look at is observant. This also gives you plus one to ability scores. Here you can choose intelligence or wisdom. Another fun little ability that I don't think I've ever actually really seen in use, but if you can see a creature's mouth while it's speaking a language you understand, you can interpret what it's saying by reading its lips. Yep, this one is done in Sneak Attack by Brenna. Uh, mm-hmm. She had uh, the observant feet there. And then the real big buff from this one is you gain a plus five bonus to your passive perception and investigation scores. Which passive investigation, not always done um, as much as passive perception, but can be really fun, especially for those very clever rogues or if your players really love exploration and they love finding secret um, secret tunnels. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that passive investigation can be fantastic to use. Yeah, and perception, in my opinion, you know, maybe we'll have to do a crunch squad where we do like a tier list ranking of <laughs> skills, for example, but perception for me is like the best skill to have in the entire game. And hence why Fleeple has a 38 to almost everything <laughs> perception related <laughs> uh, stuff. But yeah, I've seen uh, Christian from Improv Tabletop, if you listen to that show, he had a character that got, I think, 22 or 23 passive perception at one point. That's crazy. That's nuts. And probably because he got the observant uh, feat there. Exactly. And then our final sort of utility feat. Uh, do you want to talk to us about Ritual Caster? Yes, Ritual Caster. So Ritual Casting, this is something uh, I, I'm not sure if it's unique in 5e, but I didn't come across it until 5e, which I thought was very clever. Um, uh, but Ritual Casting um, is something that you can take in if you are already able to cast a spell, right? That's Actually, the, first... the 
the prerequisite here that I'm seeing is you just have to have intelligence or wisdom of 13 or higher. You're right. I was thinking of another feat. I apologize. There's another feat that does require that you can cast a spell. But so a ritual caster, um, let's say you're uh, um, a, a fighter, right? A fighter, mm-hmm. no magic skills whatsoever, but your intelligence or wisdom is 13 or higher. You can learn to cast spells. The only caveat is they must be what's called a ritual spell and you then must cast them as a ritual which i don't know fleeple have you done ritual casting before i don't think i have (gasps) mal mal has mal has she's done um i believe she has oh my gosh (laughs) listeners we apologize yeah this is this is the the dm not having keen mind oh dang it (laughs) four hours of sleep last night um so Let's act as if it's never happened on ICF before, right? So ritual spells um, in the player's handbook or whatever handbook they're, they're in, the spell will specifically have the tag ritual next to it. Um, one of the best ones is uh, detect magic. Um, I just came across that running a one shot this week, actually. Uh, detect magic is a ritual spell. The benefit of casting it as a ritual as opposed to using a spell slot is one, what if you have no spell slots? right? (laughs) If you have no spell Mm -hmm. slots, you can't cast the spell. Second, casting this spell as a ritual preserves your spell slots for maybe those non-utility spells when you need them in the heat of the moment and you can't spend extra time because casting a spell as a ritual takes at the very minimum 10 minutes to cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can flavor that however you want. Some DMs require you to sit down and make sure you don't move while you do the spell some are more liberal and be like you can walk around you just can't do anything else for the 10 or you can have somebody carry you on your back their back or something like that but you have to focus and mutter for 10 minutes and incant for 10 minutes to cast a spell whatever that smell may be and if you take the ritual caster you can you acquire you physically acquire in game a ritual book which holds two first level spells of your choice magic being a great one of them if you want to take that and you can choose from the following classes bard cleric druid sorcerer warlock or wizard you choose one of those and boom those two first level spells have to be on their spell list or that class's spell list wizard is most versatile but warlock is the most most unique spells that you can cast as well so which direction are you going to go and the really cool thing with this as well is now that you have this ritual book you can continue to add spells to it as if you were a wizard. Yes, that's the cool thing. I feel like that um, doesn't get utilized or I haven't been able to utilize that. I'm a wizard or I'm a sorcerer in one of my, uh, as a player, I'm playing a Strahd campaign and I'm a sorcerer, but because I'm a sorcerer, I don't read spells. And so I can't utilize any spells that I come across. I can't copy them down and I can't learn them rules as written. But if you take Ritual Caster, you do get to do that. You do get to explore that, which Akio in Sneak Attack did that. He was a wizard, and so he got to be able to copy spells down, Moonbeam being the one I'm thinking about in particular, uh, and explore those fun mechanics of uh, cost and buying special paper and special ink and things like that. And this one, the thing that I love the most about Ritual Caster is, yes, it's a good way to boost your spell casting if you are already a spell caster, but if you are, you know, a fighter and you just want to have a familiar, just learn Ritual Caster and boom, you learn Find Familiar. There we go. Absolutely. It's incredible. I, I mean, it's really fun for people who are 
you're playing D&D, chances are you're in a high fantasy setting, depending on your DM, and there's magic all around you. So when you can't cast magic or you can't interpret magic, it can be hard to interact with that element of the campaign. And Ritual Caster, I, I feel, can help bridge the gap tremendously in that area. Well, those are the lists that we put together for this episode specifically. There are a lot of feats that uh, did not make it into this episode. Even oh my though- gosh, so many feats so many feats and a lot of the a lot of dragon related ones that i wanted to talk about um <laughs> because we're doing tyranny of dragons we couldn't even get to so uh highly recommend that you go check those feats out as well and read up. We're going to close out this episode, though, with just those core feats that we recommend, you know, just at first level. If you're starting out, take a look at these ones. But thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of iCast Fireball Crunch Squad Edition. We hope that you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed researching feats and bringing those to the table here. From wherever you get your podcast, please leave us a review. It helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our show in other people's recommended feeds, and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. If you want to write something a little longer than a review, you could also email us at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you and we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire. I'll jump in there as well. You can also, instead of leaving an email, you can reach out to us on our Discord channel. Well, how can I get on this Discord channel, you might ask? Well, we have our Discord channel for ICF is a Patreon exclusive, which we just recently launched our Patreon in July. So if you're wanting to interact with us on a daily basis or ask a quick question or even like DM tips or DM uh, prep, uh, I I might go jump in there and be able to share some of the prep I'm doing for the campaign ongoing and stuff I might be keeping secret from the cast that I can share with the fans. Jump into our Discord and we would be more than happy to talk about all that stuff and we've got a pretty active community over there so highly recommend you jumping in there as well. Yeah, maybe you could even get a little mini crunch squad. Just today we were talking about (laughs) the intricacies of the polymorph spell and some fun shenanigans you can get up to with that. But yeah, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash iCast fireball two zero we're having a grand time with it some other places that you can follow us we've got instagram and twitter with the handle icast fireball two zero also our facebook you can get possible sneak peeks from us there of upcoming episodes you can get insight from the players in dm and some behind the scenes shots of us making this fun world uh, now we're going to do the obligatory shout out to improv tabletop Woo-hoo! we've already mentioned that a little bit i mentioned uh, our friend christian who's a regular player over there he's he's a phenomenal player i it's love good. that guy and all the crazy stuff he does and this shout out's not obligatory to me because i truly love listening to improv tabletop their current campaign blades in the dow that they got going on it's using a different tabletop system instead of 5e it's using blades in the dark it's fantastic it's avatar the last airbender themed go check them out and don't forget to leave them a five star review. oh thank you well lastly don't just leave improv tabletop a five star review you can also leave us a five star review you can like subscribe and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers but until next time i am ned your host for crunch squad and today i've been joined by thomas just thomas that's it yeah (laughs) well everybody keep the fire going and we'll see you next time